Rolling Stones magazine released an updated version of the top 500 albums of all time. A list like this was bound to spark controversy. So I'm here to give my opinion on how these albums stack up. I'm Gibbs, and welcome to the Rolling Review. What is up everybody? Gibbs here with number 462 on the Rolling Stones top 500 greatest albums of all time list. It's the Flying Burrito Brothers with The Gilded Palace of Sin. The Gilded Palace of Sin was released on February of 1969, recorded at A&M Studios in Hollywood, California. The genre of this album is country rock, released on the album of A&M, producers Henry Louie and Larry Marks. This was the debut album of the Flying Burrito Brothers, who consisted of two members from The Birds, Graham Parsons and Chris Hillman. Parson fell out of the band when he refused to accompany them on a tour of South Africa in 1968. Two months later, bassist Chris Hillman left the Birds as well and joined Parsons to form the Flying Burrito Brothers. This album would kind of be the spearhead for the country rock genre as at the time they were in two opposite spectrums in the music world. And he felt that they belonged together as he was very passionate about the country music and its simple poetry, but he really enjoyed the rock music. As well as being a foundation for the country rock genre, this album also was unique in that it featured Sneaky Pete Clanow's unorthodox steel guitar playing. This all had to do with basically how he tuned his guitar with him using a B6 instead of a more common C6. He also used a fuzz box on the album and played the instrument straight through a rotating Hammond Leslie amplifier, adding the psychedelic touch that you would get on several of those songs. The album cover, which was a picture shot by Barry Feinstein, features the band in nudie suits, which doesn't mean they were naked, as I originally thought when I saw nudie suits, but it is actually a play on words to describe suits made by the designer Nudie Cone. So these suits were sequin suits, and they were made for all the band members, but Parsons was the most unusual out of the group, and it featured a naked woman on it, rendered as an old-school sailor's tattoo on each lapel, red poppies on the shoulders, deep green marijuana leaves on the front, and an embroidered sequin pills scattered everywhere. It also had a flaming red cross surrounded by radiating shafts of blue and gold light on the back side of the jacket. You can still see this jacket in person by going to the Country Music Hall of Fame, which is located in Nashville, Tennessee. The rest of the album cover was shot in the desert, and they thought that it was just going to look really surreal with the nudie suits. And they got a great look out of it. And they felt that it was a great way to look country western, but also rock in the same way. So they're setting up the album cover, blending two genres 
as that was the style of the music, trying to blend these two genres. This album was not a commercial success at all, and it has still yet to be certified even gold, which is rather disappointing. It peaked at 164 on the Billboard 200 at the time of its release, and although it wasn't that commercial success and it didn't seem like a lot of people were purchasing it, everyone had nothing but really good things to say about it. People describing this record as the complete definition of the term country rock. And even a Rolling Stones reviewer at that time saying that it was one of the best records of the year. And one of the best and most personal records that Parsons had ever done. Artists such as Bob Dylan even came out and said that this was his favorite country rock album. And it would even be cited as a source of influence for a band like the Eagles, and even continued to influence newer country music artists today, such as Travis Tripp, Vince Gill, Alan Jackson, Clint Black, Randy Travis. I know I said today, and some of those guys haven't put out an album in a really long time, but that's still, you think this album was created in 1968, and you're talking... 30 years later, it's still having an impact and still influencing the way that these artists would go on to create their songs. And it even reached non-country artists, with an artist like Elvis Costello saying that this was one of his favorite albums, and he covered a lot of the tracks off this album during his career. So this album is very highly regarded, and in 2003, when Rolling Stones put out their first edition of the Top 500 Albums, it was ranked at 192. And even when they redid it in 2012, it still maintained its rating at 192. And it wasn't until this last rendition of this list that they just knocked it all the way down to 462. This is another album that we have done so far that has originally started up higher on this list and just plummeted from this version of the list. And you just have to wonder what their reasoning behind that is. I kind of hate how when I'm reading through Rolling Stone's list on some of these, they say a good thing about it. They write a small paragraph about these albums, and usually it's something good to say, but they never reference the fact that, yeah, we know we had this at 192, here's why it's at 462 now. I guess their easy answer would just be, well, we added a lot more newer albums onto this list that just pushed it back, but it's still just hard to believe that this album drops 200 and some spots. Sometimes I wonder if they do these things because I don't know if I'm just in the dark on this one, but the Flying Burrito Brothers wasn't really a huge thing that I had heard of prior to looking at this list, and maybe they take some of those artists that they think people aren't going to care about and throw them down a little farther. But whatever their reasoning is behind their rankings, I'm sure they think they know what they're doing, and... 
they had great reasoning for dropping it down as far as they did. Only time will tell as we go through these on the rolling review and see if it will stay in the 400s or if we're going to move it up a little bit. Rolling Stone did also, in 2013, put out a 100 best debut albums of all time and did include this in at number 99, though I'm sure if they were to do that now, they would probably not even include it as far as their rankings have shown here. It was also included on their 2014 list of 50 rock albums every country fan should know. Now, I do believe that this would still make that one, because country doesn't seem to be a very prevalent genre on this list. So anytime you get that kind of crossover of the country rock, I think that... They're going to lump that into more of the country side and them showing some favor to the country music genre. I do have to say that they favored this album more than the all-time top 1,000 albums list that I have talked about on different episodes here, as they only had it ranked at 620 on theirs, so if they only did a top 500 albums, it wasn't even going to be in there. And maybe rightfully so, I still think it would be interesting to somehow figure out all the albums that they did include on this, and albums that they kicked out from previous issues, and kind of see what was left out, and maybe compare them to this all-time top 1000 albums to see maybe there are more belonging albums out there. But, as for right now, we're going to continue to go through the Flying Burritos Brothers. I will say, to start off with on this album, it was definitely more on the countryside, I felt, than the rock side. I almost didn't even get any rock vibe from it, but there is a time difference there which things were maybe considered rock back then that we would look at as country now as artists like Johnny Cash were almost considered in the rock genre at the time and we look back at them as country artists so maybe there are some things there that they're doing that I'm just not picking up on that put them more in the rock genre but really a lot of it seemed really country to me as a majority of the songs on this album I felt like were in 3-4 time which is kind of that waltz beat and there's very simplistic acoustic guitar strumming but they kind of when they produced this album they kind of knew that that acoustic guitar was going to be fairly simplistic on most of these I felt like so they turned up that bass on most of these tracks and I really appreciate the fact that they turned up the bass because there are some great walking bass lines on this album I felt Chris Etheridge did a great job of really exploring the space of the song and complementing the melody of the lyrics with his bass. It would seem as sometimes that bass would just be walking along doing its own thing and then it would fall into the vocal melody and pick up a couple parts there and then it would fall right back in to doing its own thing and I just 
really appreciated a lot of the bass work done on this album. As for the rest of the band, of course the steel guitar stood out as that was noted earlier as being something that was a pretty big deal about this album. So it definitely stood out and I enjoyed the steel guitar and it brought me more of that country style as well as it had that twang to it. And honestly, this album, for the most part, it reminds me a lot of my dad because my dad grew up in Kentucky and he really loves a lot of that old southern music with the harmonies and that steel guitar and this just seemed like something that I could imagine blaring out of his barn doors while he's out there working still and maybe he's a Flying Burritos fan I'm gonna have to ask him he, he might know who they are. I guess my big knock instrumentally on this album would be the percussion and I feel like that is part of the doing of the three four time signature sometimes that limits percussionists and what they're able to do but I even felt when they went to a 4468 which gave them a little more space to be creative they just didn't take advantage of that it was just very simplistic beats throughout the whole album and it's not really to blame on one drummer as they used four different drummers on this album on the different tracks as for lyrical content i really enjoyed the storytelling of this album i thought parsons did a great job and of course hillman helped write most of the songs too they did have two cover tracks on this album which they placed back to back on side one of the album and it was do it right woman and dark end of the street I liked in the songs that they wrote on the album that they did a great job storytelling and that they didn't shy away from then-political issues. A track like My Uncle confronting the draft-dodging era and really lyrically painting a picture for you as they describe getting that letter in the mail and the questionnaire, that letter from your uncle. And it's that questionnaire. And they talk about wanting to go find the nearest northern border and just not be here anymore. And then they say that they don't know how much they owe their uncle, but he's trying to sign them up on a three-year contract. And just a lot of points hit there. As for how scary it must have been to be one of those people that got that letter that had to go and serve and how they must have felt of wanting to just escape and not have to go over there and fight and some people were willing to go over there and fight and they volunteered and I thank them for their service and I hope this means no disrespect to those who fought and served proudly but there were a lot of people that didn't want to go. They didn't see the point we were over there. They didn't want to possibly lose their life. They didn't want to have to possibly take another person's life. And for those people, this song has to really hit home. 
and it was a really great track on the album. Their other political type track was called Hippie Boy and it's the end of the album and I felt like it was a really great end to the album because most of this track is spoken word by Chris Hillman and it goes on to describe the events that took place at the 1968 Democratic National Convention and the riots that were held there and it's held from the perspective of this hippie boy and it's a great narrative song and it's great instrumentally too I really thought that they did a great job with the backing tracks on it while he tells his story and it ends with two lines that are sang in a gang vocal style and it ends with applause and I just felt like that was a really great ending to this album so those two tracks really stood out to me and I really thought that they were great tracks I also really enjoyed Hot Burrito Number 1, as it was probably more in that rock part of the country rock spectrum, and so it kind of stood out to me, as I'm a fan of rock mostly. So now comes the moment of placing it in with the rest of the albums, and how that's going to work. As stated earlier, it wasn't a huge commercial success. It has still yet to go gold, saying that they've maybe haven't even reached 50,000 copies of this sold yet, which is sad because it is a good record. I feel like I've listened to a lot worse things on this list so far that had sold way more copies somehow, so how things somehow become commercially popular and others don't I will never understand. I guess it's just what they want you to hear at the time. But placing this album in, I have to give it credit because it is one of those foundation blocks for a whole genre. And any time that you're really doing something different that not everyone else at the time is doing and putting yourself out there you're becoming a influence for later artists that are going to take what you laid out there and just expand upon it so much. And it's crazy to think how there used to not be many genres of music. And now you look at all the subgenres of these genres and it's just crazy. And someone had to be responsible for that. And for the country rock genre the flying burrito brothers were part of that movement so i have to give them credit for that i have to acknowledge that this was a very influential album and maybe that it wasn't the commercial success that some other albums were but that it carries a little more weight because it inspired other artists so sadly, even though this album's already plummeted 200 and some spots, I think it's going to fall a little more to 465, just below Manny Chow's album, as he's still, the worldwide impact that he had with his album, I feel, needs to be recognized. But they still put out a very influential record here, 
So that's where I'm placing it now, 465. Next time at 461, we'll be going through Bon Ivers for Emma. Until then, I'm Gibbs. This is The Rolling Review. Stay safe and be kind.